0: With me in the studio I have Mr Aaron Packard Welcome to B-Side Stories on Access Radio Aaron
1: Kia ora kato, thank you
0: Yay, nice to hear your voice I, I have to admit I've been a little bit nervous about having you on today uh, As you should be <laughs> <laughs> doesn't help, does he? <laughs> Just a little bit of an intro. Aaron is one who is certainly leading a change as the Oceania coordinator for 350.org, who is overseeing operations on Australia, New Zealand and the Pacific. And at the age of 16, he was a founding member and chairperson of Evolve, the Wellington Youth Service. Aaron co-founded 350 Pacific in 2009 with a network of young Pacific Islanders to join the global climate change movement. And he also founded 350 Aotearoa from his hometown, Wellington, and we are lucky to have him in the studio today. And what are you doing in Wellington?
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you, and I consider myself lucky to be here.
0: Uh, Well, yay, thanks.
1: (laughs) I've been in town for just a couple of months over summer. I've been living in Melbourne the last couple of years as We've been yeah. sort of ramping up our efforts around climate change campaigning in Australia, which has uh, certainly been entertaining and somewhat terrifying. I can imagine, yeah. And uh, next week, I'm off to live in Fiji for a bit and support our Pacific Island team uh, more strongly and. just immerse myself more in that culture.
0: Wow, okay, that's really big. A thousand questions, but let's start (laughs) for our listeners' sake, because we really came about through Global Divestment Day, but just first a little bit about the 350.org. What is their mission, Aaron?
1: So 350 started in, well, it was 2008, and it was around this number 350, which you know, brings many people in with a sense of mystery. What is this number 350 about? Yeah. And um, it's actually based on a piece of scientific research done at NASA, which was asking the question, what's the safe amount of CO2 in the atmosphere for which life on Earth is currently adapted? Right. And the answer that Jim Hansen at NASA and his colleagues fi- found out was that no more than 350... Parts per million of CO2 is the safe amount. Right. Uh, And we haven't crossed that level in at least 800,000 years and probably up to (laughs) 20 million years. Uh, But we crossed it just shortly after I was born, actually. Right. And uh, we're up at about 400 parts per million now and heading up and up quite rapidly toward uh, at least 550 or 600 parts Mm. per million. Mm. Uh, Which, what does that mean? Well, that equates to uh, three to four degrees of average temperature increase around the world. So it's a lot of warming that... uh, we're currently locked into yeah so that's if we do nothing but you know there's this kind of window of opportunity where we get to be activists and we we'll get to do as much as we can to <laughs> that turn that around
0: we're aiming to slip through the gap right <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so how long has 350 been been in existence
1: oh so it started up in the united states um in 2008 and I was studying at Victoria University, along right. the the environmental group there, Gecko, back in the day. And,
0: wow, uh, I haven't heard of Gecko. There's some digging around to yeah, be done yeah. there. Yeah, they're
1: still, still rocking it out, I think. <laughs> um, and so we, I, I had seen the website go live and right. uh, globally for 350. I reached out to them and said, hey, we're organizing this event. Can we use your logo? And... They it went into the spam box, but eventually they got <laughs> back to us. But we were just like, let's do it anyway, Good and uh, turned out to be the first global action for three fifty, and
0: uh, in New Zealand.
1: Yeah, you yeah. So, you
0: kind of instigated it.
1: Well, yeah, the global aspect of it in some ways. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um. Okay, that's fantastic.
1: And so, uh, sort of stayed in connection with the team in the US since then, and this. Uh, fellow Bill McKibben, who's right. a prominent author and journalist and writer in the United States, and he came out in 2009. And uh, it was at that time as well that the Oceania region coordinator was based in San Francisco. Wow. And so I said, hey, John, you know, I'm a little bit closer to the Pacific Islands. Let me know if you want a hand. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh started just uh, – Headed out to Fiji for the Pacific Youth Festival in 2009, and that's when started to connect with some young people.
0: Mm, All right, so I one you must have had a connection there to be able to start that.
1: Yeah, movement too. And you know, I hadn't actually been to any of the Pacific Islands before, but uh, that's when I started meeting with these young people and. also seen how climate change defines the future for so many mm, young pacific mm, islanders mm. particularly in the atoll islands where it's yeah. you know this thin uh, strip of land that might be about 40 kilometers around but you know just 100 meters or 200 meters wide yes and so it's very vulnerable to sea level rise and you know i've been out to some of those uh, islands and the marshall islands and Kiribati and just connecting with young people there we you know if mm-hmm. you look at the what is projected for in terms of sea level rise alone uh, you know those islands will likely be uninhabitable in 30 to 40 years time
0: yeah yeah
1: and they're already under stress from when the king tides hit
0: right yeah
1: uh And, you know, that's kind of a life-changing event and spending time there and spending Mm. time there with young people and seeing that for them, you know, this issue is not optional. They can't walk away from it. No. And no. uh, particularly where their culture and their identity is so caught up with the land and, you know, who who they are and their ancestors are buried there and, and they just can't imagine living anywhere else. So in that way... Spending time with those people and forging those relationships, you know, this has become something more than just a, a job or anything like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Sense of uh, commitment and duty to to the uh, Pacific Island teams.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, quite hard to have a very loud voice from some of those faraway islands, I guess.
1: Yeah, I, yes and no. You know, the great thing about those islands is that they have pretty small populations yet have a table at the United Nations meetings, Yeah. I... have prime ministers, presidents that people like to hear from. And <laughs> you know, so we have some pretty close connections to them. And most of the Pacific Island leaders are doing really great work in terms of mm. bringing a spotlight to climate change. But, you know, they can only go so far and there's a real important role for civil society and a grassroots movement to play in terms of doing some of the things that governments can't quite do like
0: i hear you so would global actually just back to 350 how many countries or language i just noticed the languages alone but how how far is the 350 reach now
1: yeah well we built ourselves a, a truly global network pretty quickly uh, across 188 countries that the network spread across in 2009 and since 2011 we've really switched from you know being focused on organizing days of action to campaigning right uh, and you know we still have active groups and supporters across i think about 100 60 countries or so. Uh, And, you know, we're pretty small in terms of our staff base, but it's really about uh, providing the support to those grassroots groups and people uh, to get out and do the work to um, build momentum. Yeah. uh, Both for solutions and also against the, the vested interests that are causing climate change, so right. the fossil fuel industry. And
0: so that would lead us on to Global Divestment Day, and I don't mind admitting I didn't actually know what divestment meant until yeah. I heard of, you know, so I think it's probably quite good to unpack it for unpack some it. of our listeners. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah,
1: so the word divestment contains a bit of a hint in terms of the mm. investment word, uh, and it, the divestment campaign is really about removing the financial backing of the fossil fuel industry mm. so getting uh, you know churches universities councils and other institutions to remove their investment funds from fossil fuel companies globally it's particularly focused on the the top 200 uh, coal gas and oil companies right that those 200 companies by far and away own the majority of uh, the coal, gas and oil reserves. Uh, and the recent research that is really the driving force behind the divestment campaign is that to limit warming to no more than 2 degrees Celsius, which you know countries have agreed to through the United yes. Nations process we have to keep at least 80% of known fossil fuels in the ground. So that means, you know, all the oil that Shell is trying to drill for in the Arctic, that's off-limits. 90% Ninety percent of Australian coal would need to stay in the ground. Right. Uh, oh,
0: you've got a big job. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's <a> big, <laughs> but you know it's the job of many, and mm, many, and mm. many are involved, and that's why we organise these uh, days of action like Global Divestment Day.
0: Great. And so, who are the types of businesses that are investing traditionally?
1: Well, you know, over. I guess since the the first steam engine, you know, in, which was f- fired by coal, um, you know, fossil fuel companies have been a strong investment, and yes, you know, through that they've become the most powerful companies in the mm, world. Mm. The likes of Exxon, uh, ExxonMobil, Mobil, um, BP, uh, you know, there's a whole raft. There's hundreds of coal companies and uh, so a lot of, the answer is a lot of companies and a lot of institutions have investments right. that are wound up our in bank, the fossil fuel our industry our banks our <laughs> banks included so um, right. particularly the australian banks right, uh, right. which you know own a lot of the new zealand banks they've all invested billions of dollars in the last uh, five years and
0: even in the last five.
1: Yep, yep. So mm. you take Westpac, it you know, it was awarded last year the most sustainable bank in the world, which is a pretty, you know, glorious title. But uh they also do the inglorious work of investing heavily in coal. Mm, right. And, you know, they have strong policy statements about climate change. Uh yet there's this contra contradiction which you know, it's our job really to highlight and yeah. point out. and uh, Just
0: so they know, we know.
1: <laughs> absolutely.
0: So as an average Kiwi, you know, when you come down to the you and me on the ground, I mean, I guess I, you know, I've got a little Kiwi saver ticking away and, you know, I'm not with the Westpac. But, but what can we do on a day-to-day basis to, to have an action around divestment?
1: Yeah, also well, through Global Divestment Day, we're kicking off, a banks divestment campaign, right? And that really starts with engaging with your bank around the issue. Mm-hmm. So going and talking to your fund, ma- your your bank manager. Uh, it's
0: normally to ask them for money. Don't
1: <laughs> <I>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, and you know they are really usually concerned with what you as a customer mm. has to say, mm. and so this is a place where you know you do have power. Uh, as a shareholder or as a, a customer in mm. that company. And so we're going to be launching a, a platform where you can write an email to your bank and say, you right. know, I've learnt about these investments, and we'll be releasing the figures of just how much each bank does invest mm. and, you know, request that they phase out those fossil fuel investments. So it's quite a reasonable ask, really. Oh,
0: I, and, and I'm sure there, you know, yeah. It's just quite nice to maybe speed up the process.
1: Yeah. Let them know. Yeah, we, we might get there, Yeah, speed up the process. <laughs> yeah, that would be good.
0: So also to celebrate Global Divestment Day, people, you are asking for events to happen around the country. That's right. Can people get involved at that
1: level? There are events uh, happening around the country. uh Currently, not one signed up in Wellington. No, I know. Well, that was
0: who I was meeting. That's where I was uh, looking for the interview, but I got you instead, which was actually even better. (laughs) Well, for me, for the for the for the radio station.
1: Uh, But we will be sending out emails, which have you know that start of the the action you can take around the banks campaign. Great. and you know, the website GoFossilfree dot org contains a lot of information and you can also see what is happening around the world in yes. terms of divestment. And there's massive movements being made, you know. Um in Norway, which has the li- the world's largest sovereign wealth fund, so it's the largest government owned um savings fund. Right, yes, like uh, our KiwiSaver kind of equivalent. Yeah, to- yeah, yep. I think something like that. Um and it's uh, worth close to a trillion dollars, New Zealand. So it's kind of big money, you know. It is to us. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big yeah. deal. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they just last week announced that they were divesting from uh, about 130 companies on climate change and environmental grounds. Wow. And so that's huge. That included dozens of coal companies. Yeah. So it's uh, really starting to have an impact. And, you know, that that's a lot of the impact is around just getting the message out there and having the conversation, using the bank's campaign as an opportunity to raise this issue of climate change. Right. You know, individually, we might not have a trillion dollars in a bank account. Um, but collectively. <laughs> but collectively. <laughs> you know, but it gives the opportunity for, for us to show up and – bring this into the spotlight. And that's Mm. what it really needs is, you know, fossil fuels have enjoyed such a good uh, 100 years of unchecked and unchallenged power in a lot of ways. That's right. So it's really our work to challenge that power and highlight how the, the damage that these companies are doing and that they are willfully driving the world to a scenario of three to five degrees of climate change. Mm, mm. And uh, it's not cool, man.
0: Not for the rest of us. There are 200 businesses we're talking about, which admittedly is a lot of people working in those businesses, but yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh,
1: But, you know, those companies have had chances to... Diversify, and, mm. and some of those companies are, uh, yeah. and shifting to renewable energy. You know, um, even in Saudi Arabia, you know, one of the, what, I read an interesting article about one of the reasons they're not cutting production, even though the the price of oil is really low, right. is that they recognise this carbon bubble issue. That you know, at some point. We're going to get into a carbon-constrained world where we just simply uh, we'll have legislation and uh, pricing around carbon that will mean mm. it's too expensive to dig up, and so they're just trying to get rid of as much oil as possible. Right. And in fact, in the early two thousands, one of the Saudi Arabian uh, ministers, you know, fam- sort of famously said, "The Stone Age didn't end." F- because they ran out of stones, uh, and so the the oil age is not going to run is not going to end for running out of oil. You know, it's going to be other issues and and the evolution of renewable energy and other technologies that will mean the end of oil, which we can hope.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's a mindset, and if we all start thinking and acting around that, there's great chance of that. Speeding up a little. Aaron, Indeed. just one more question for you, although there are about 53 that I haven't been able to ask here. What is um, one of the things, because I think for your age, love, people can't see lovely Aaron, but for what <laughs> you've actually achieved, what is one of the things that you are most proud of?
1: Uh, I, well, I guess there's a few, but I mean, last year, we supported our Pacific Island organisers, and they built eight traditional canoes in the, across the different what? islands. And uh, wow. you know, in Tokelau, that was the first time they built a canoe from the tree to the the actual carved canoe in about eighty years. Wow! So it was quite, yeah, it was yeah. quite remarkable in that way. And uh, the Vanuatu canoe was named Tario Vanuatu, the voice of Vanuatu, and. Beautiful. Um, blessed by someone from the government and the local community. And so we brought those canoes uh, with 30 Pacific climate warriors uh, over to Australia. And uh, we paddled them out into Newcastle, which is the world's largest coal port, and had about 500 Australians who were out in kayaks and sailing boats. And uh, for a day just blockaded the coal port. So it was sort of this these david and goliath images of these gigantic coal ships trying to come through and uh, the tugboats pulling them back and then these traditional canoes with between three to eight people in them paddling up and just getting in the way and just really highlighting that you know this coal has to stay in the ground if we're going to keep the islands above water yeah and uh, the police were out there they were Trying to tip people out of the kayaks and canoes, and uh, it was pretty hectic. And the, but it was also remarkably moving, and um, you know, just told a very powerful story of how young well, Pacific Islanders in general are not willing to just go quietly against uh, you know lose their islands quietly to climate change, and that the time to put up the fight is now. And uh, you know, it's this next year or two where big, big shifts in the global system can and I think are quite likely to occur if we really put our intention and efforts at work to mobilize and challenge the power of the fossil fuel industry and those politicians that are pretty much the fossil fuel industry themselves.